the State of the Church, the annual address. And so those of you who are newcomers, it's kind of an in-house day. Um, But I hope that you'll have fun finding out in depth a lot more about us. So my colleague Julie Silverman said, we come to church to shape ourselves and our community into the vision of universal love, hope, and generosity. Those things don't come with a money-back guarantee or even a receipt. They come with hard work and the exposure of our often wounded souls. Last March, this congregation adopted a vision statement. And since that time, we've been focusing our energies, our resources of all kinds to trying to further our movement toward that vision. The question today is, how are we doing? The financial tsunami that originated on Wall Street and reverberated around the world has affected us all. Our congregations, no exception. Members and friends in our congregation have lost their homes, their jobs, their dreams of retirement. Those depending on investment income are faced with impossible decisions. And like all investment accounts, despite the wise investment of ours and no losses in any of the schemes that other people have lost money in, doesn't change the fact that our reserve and endowment funds have taken a huge hit. And the congregation has responded and the staff has responded. Staff has done all that we can to control expenses without sacrificing services and programs and to continue being responsive to express congregational needs. Despite now having... I was hoping that Frank Bever was, uh, was here. He was earlier. We now have a hospitality custodian who is here on Friday nights, sometimes on Saturday, and all day Sunday to make sure that congregational needs are being met. Despite doing things like that, we've managed to cut $50,000 from the budget, and every single expenditure is carefully monitored. But that's not the most important thing, folks. I want to tell you some of the stories that have moved me so deeply this year. The response of this congregation to the economic meltdown has been phenomenal. All that I can think is that our people are aware that many are in precarious financial situations. And so what's been happening is that those who are able to do a little bit more have been doing just that. I'll give you a few examples. The church auction. We needed to raise 25000 to meet the budget, and we held it in the middle of the initial shock waves of a financial meltdown. We came in with $30,000, and we had a whole pile of fun doing it. But a big part of that was the reverse auction. That raised over $8,000 of the total. Aware that many are in difficult positions, those who were able simply gave more. 
to support the community. They didn't purchase anything. It was a reverse auction saying, who wants to give money? <laughs> Amazing. I want to tell you that total pledge payments, contributions, and offerings are actually higher than they were at this time last year. Come on. And in addition to ensuring that bills are paid, this congregation has found even more ways to be generous. Many of you contributed to a holiday gift fund for our staff. Thank you. They were deeply, deeply moved. This is the first time in staff's memory that the congregation has done this. It touched us all deeply. The guest at your table drive that supports the work of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee raised more money than ever, thanks largely to a matching gift from one of our generous members. We're now sharing our Sunday offering with the larger community, Simpsons Homeless Services in January, Trust in February. I've got a whole one week of history to go on, folks, but I'm sure it's going to continue. Last week, the congregation responded to this initiative by more than doubling their gifts. And I do expect that will continue because I've come to know what a generous and large-hearted congregation this is. The 150th Committee. They're just, their wonderful programs are just beginning to unfold. How many attended one or more of the October kickoff events? Amazing. What an amazing weekend. This is another example of programming that was beyond the scope of a regular budget. And so individuals in the congregation, those who were able, made special donations to the tune of over $70,000 to fund the 150th celebration, to fund the programs, the videos, the guest speakers. And another example, the upcoming gala weekend in April will provide yet another opportunity for those who can do a little bit more to ensure that no one is left out. The gala tickets are $30 per person. That's what it costs for the dinner. But there will be an opportunity for each of you to pay more. <laughs> Consider paying more, $50, $100, if you can. And all of the money, in addition, will be used to subsidize the costs of those who can't afford $30. This is a congregation that over and over again reaches out its arms, embracing this community and the community outside our doors, providing safety nets emotionally, spiritually, financially. The vision statement that we adopted last year said, we care for one another in times of need. We give generously of our time, our talents, and our resources to further our common congregational mission and vision. I ask you, how are we doing? I'm voting aye. Aye, thank you. Last year's State of the Church sermon, I told you that there were a couple of big missing pieces in this congregation. The big missing piece was a staff position for membership coordination. 
There is no structured way in this congregation to help people find their way into this congregation, to become integrated, to learn how to become members. Well, two amazing volunteers stepped forward. Ann Kay and Stephen Pratzman are co-chairs of a, of a membership committee with office support from Sandy and Betty Leah Hoberg and Be- Becky Shockley and Ken Stern on the committee. Amazing. Since September. <laughs> You've noticed it, haven't you? It's pretty hard to miss. There are over six visitor greeters in the, in the sanctuary every Sunday. You can't get into the social hall without tripping over the, the visitor's table, the welcome table. The new member welcome ceremony, the cake reception following, reinitiating the membership book, which had lapsed in 94. All of the membership brochures, application letters, and other materials have all been rewritten. There are quarterly new member family potlucks. There are monthly new member foundation classes. And there's a very clear pathway to membership, which helps people be in compliance with the bylaws. If you're going to become a member or interested, come to the pathway class, pathway to membership class. The next one's early in February. There are already over 20 people signed up, folks. Then. What you do is you fill out your application, it goes to the board after having filled out your pledge card and your service, uh, what service activities you'll undertake. Then you sign the membership book in the new member welcoming ceremony and join the foundations of our faith class. Is that a clear path to membership? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The other thing that I told you last year was that you were desperately short on programming. And thank goodness for the Association of Universalist Women, because they make it look like the congregation has a lot more programming than it does. (laughs) But that doesn't change the fact that other programming is needed. When I arrived here a year and a half ago, you were not only between ministers, you were between office managers. When I asked the board, could we look at other possible staff configurations, they gave me a free hand. So we threw all of the administrative positions up in the air, said, let's take a brand new look at our job descriptions, restructure how things are done so that everybody's playing to their strengths. And it worked. So when we started looking at all of the orphan programs, membership, pastoral care, sanctuary, visual arts, building and grounds, well, they've actually got a person. There are all of women's ritual circle, all of these groups that are part of church life and are not integrated. So all of the program team on Monday got a charge. No more orphans. Play to your strengths. Create 
a program team and tell me in a week and a half what the structure looks like with no more than 0.5 FTE of new staff support. (laughs) People are excited and it's happening, people. This grew out of your vision, your vision that talked about spiritually grounded adults leading children in their growth, connecting, ways to be theologically sound. All of these things are built in to your vision, which makes it possible to focus. And so already there's an acronym you're going to be hearing a lot of called ARC, A-R-C, Action, Reflection, Connection. came from your vision. It came also from your compass group when you were taking a look at what makes faith in action meaningful and powerful within community. Everything that happens in this congregation from now on will have a spiritual dimension, will have action, will have reflection, and will have a way to connect people with one another, with a larger world. They're amazing. They're mapping out a structure so that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how you are in your life journey, there will be appropriate church programming to support you. Amazing. So, we warmly welcome newcomers into our community. We're enriched by diverse identities and perspectives of all who join their spiritual journeys with our common vision. We offer meaningful opportunities for participation to all and invite deep interpersonal connections. Are we on the right path? Vote. Also in your vision statement, we're a well-governed congregation whose democratically empowered leaders earn the trust of members by being responsible stewards of our facility and our human and financial resources so that we may, together, realize the congregation's vision for today and for times that we'll never see. Well, you're voting today. I think I'll work on influencing that vote. (laughs) Sure. And I'll tell you why. The move to policy governance is what's made almost all of this movement possible. The clarity that comes with it about whose job is who. It's the board's job to articulate the congregation's vision and mission and values and to develop policies that ensure accountability to achieving those ends. It's the staff's job to empower and support the congregation in doing what it says it wants to do. And the staff is held accountable for it. Interesting, powerful, and it works. We've also been out of compliance with current bylaws for quite a while while we've been practicing. (laughs) But leaving that aside, Lauren Mead, 
who is the founder of the Alban Institute, over a decade ago wrote a book called More Than Numbers, The Way Churches Grow. Numbers are important, folks, and your numbers are good. You're now back at the same level of attendance that you had before the separation with your previous minister. You had the expected fallout. You're way past financial contributions than you were with your previous minister. You've um, got much more programming happening. Religious education numbers are high and growing. Membership, number, oh, membership numbers are back on track, too. We're about 20 below where you were before the blow-up, and we've got over 20 people looking at the membership class now, which doesn't happen for another month. So there'll be many more of you, I'm sure. The numbers are all good, but that's not what's important. Lauren Maid says, look at maturational growth. Are we becoming a more mature congregation? Well, yes. The leadership, the board, has adopted a leadership covenant on how they will be leaders. What promises they make to each other and to the congregation. They're encouraging that all leaders in the congregation accept the same covenant. The congregation still needs a covenant. What promises do you make to one another and how will you be together? But maturational growth, yes. Folks, we're growing up. Organic growth. Are things bubbling up from the people? Is your structure reflective of yourselves? Are your resources streaming to the places that are budding? I'm seeing that happening. And incarnational growth. Are we a people of faith? Do we hold our values in the center? Do we make our decisions on whether things are right rather than are they easy? Well, I can tell you the fire marshal told us last week that um, we have 60 days to replace those front doors with a breaker bar and um, to update the fire alarm system. It's not much, twenty dollars to $40,000. <laughs> There's not a question. We're doing it. That's maturational growth, people. That's incarnational growth. That's living in faith. We come to church to shape ourselves and to shape our community. We come here to live our vision into reality. My question is, how are we doing, folks? You're seeing me fuss along here? That's because I always bring too many papers into the, into the pulpit. 
Way too many papers. I want to tell you that the goal of this interim ministry has not been to get you ready for a new minister. My goal has been to get you to stop focusing on what you want in a new minister. My goal has been to challenge you to discover who you are, where you're going, to become so exciting and magnetic that every minister of quality will want to be here, and it's just a matter of your finding the right match. I want to tell you that you people are amazing. Your generosity, your wisdom, your savvy, your playfulness, your courage, your get-up-and-go-ness, your vision, your power. You will be a blessing to whatever minister you've called. I know, because you've blessed me. I'm almost out of here, but I'm not a lame duck yet. I just want to say to you that even though churches aren't in the business of providing satisfaction, 